you've got to find space in your life to fit these things in. Because it's all very well going, I'm going to go to the gym for an hour every evening. If you can't fit that in readily into your day, and most of us, frankly, are quite time pressured, then it's not going to happen. Ingraining habits is about two things, really. One is about repetition. It's not about the length you do it, but just a few minutes, but just do it over and over and over again, and then it becomes a habit. And the other thing is um, about trying to link it to something you're already doing. Anchoring it seems to be hugely important with habits. That was Dr. Michael Mosley, known for being the TV doctor and journalist who brought us the 5-2 diet and a familiar voice on BBC Radio 4. Well, now he's hoping to transform our physical and mental health with small, simple changes to our daily lives. I'm Liz Earle and welcome to the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show, the podcast helping all of us have a better second half. And with so many of us living longer than ever before, I'm on a mission to find realistic ways to thrive in later life by investing in our health and well-being today. And, you know, if there's one thing that is non-negotiable for me every single day that I know helps my well-being, it's getting up, drinking two medium-sized glasses of water to rehydrate my body and then stepping outside, wherever in the world I am, and looking towards the sun, you know, to feel the fresh day's light on my face, activating the receptors in my retinas and almost charging up my cells ready for the day ahead. So I've been doing this for the last few months now and since I started looking a bit more closely at the power of sunlight on our brain cells and our circadian rhythms and I really do genuinely feel better for it. Improved mood, I've got a spring in my step during the day, I sleep better at night and almost sometimes a euphoric feeling of joy and contentment. You know, it can often feel like we are being bombarded with information about how to live well, don't you think? How to be healthier, slimmer, calmer, whatever it might be. And I think it can be incredibly overwhelming just keeping up with all the things that we apparently should or shouldn't be doing. Incorporating them all into our lives would mean completely overhauling our lifestyle, which frankly is far too mammoth a task to even think about and also makes us far less likely to stick to it because it's just not a realistic expectation. Expectation. So, if you were going to do just one thing to transform your health, what would it be? Well, that's the question that Dr. Michael Mosley asks in his new book, conveniently called Just One Thing. It's not just about separating the facts from the fads, although you know that that's a personal favourite hobby of mine. It's about finding changes that fit easily into our daily lives so that they really stick. So, how do we build good habits? And what are the habits that are best to build? Well, stay tuned. We'll be finding out. Hey, everyone. It's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAST10 for 10% off. 
A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. So, Michael, warm welcome back. And I think we're all probably clear at this point about the importance of sleeping well, you know, doing our regular exercise, keeping a healthy weight, eating well, da di da di da. So what is it that you found that's actually stopping us from doing all these things? I think there are two problems. One is the advice is incredibly generic. Uh, that being told to eat well really tells you nothing at all. And ditto, being told to exercise tells you nothing at all. It's kind of like going and seeing a tennis pro and saying, I want to improve my tennis. And they say, well, it's really easy. You just hit the ball very accurately into the corners. <laughs> and you go, well, yes. yeah, OK, where does that lead me? So that's part of the problem. You do, the advice is really specific. And the other problem is it tends to be rather kind of, you know, over the top in the sense that you might suddenly decide you want to run a marathon or something like that or lose, you know, uh, a couple of stone by uh, Christmas time. And, um, you know, you can't just do that mm. because, um, yes, it's fine to have these goals, but if you're going to have those goals, you kind of build up to it. So I've done this podcast, Just One Thing, and written this mm. book, Just One Thing. And the idea there is very much that you can break it down into small things you can do and then stick with, because I think the stick with is the really tricky thing. We all know. You know, January's approaching fast, New Year's resolutions, uh, and we all know that most people give yes. them up. And that is partly, as I said, because um, those resolutions are so general and partly because they are hard to stick to. I have heard, actually, that if we're thinking about making New Year's resolutions, that we should do much, much smaller scale and congratulate ourselves on the small wins that then gradually end up to much more success. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's really the sort of ideological thrust, if you like, of just one thing. Mm. Um, some a small, easily achievable thing, but which can have a surprisingly big benefit. Mm. And as we do get towards New Year and January the 1st, New Year is, is looming. Even the best resolutions that we make, they do seem to rarely last. Is it just because we're weak willed or are we making the wrong kind of promises to start with? I think we're making the wrong sort of promises. We're not being specific right. enough. We're not, um, you know, there is the so-called smart goals, be specific, be timely, be measurable. Mm -hmm. And you need to do all those things. And that's important. But the other thing is that you've got to find space in your life to fit these things in. Yes. Because it's all very well going, I'm going to go to the gym for an hour every <laughs> evening. If you can't fit that in readily into your day, and most of us, frankly, are quite time pressured, then it's not going to happen. It might happen for, you know, a few days, even a few weeks. But ingraining habits mm. is about two things, really. One is about repetition. It's not about the length you do it, but just a few minutes, but just do it over and over and over again, and then it becomes a habit. And the other thing is um, about trying to link it to something you're already doing. Anchoring it seems to be hugely important with um, habits. Find something you're already doing and then attach this new habit to it so that it becomes automatic. So what kind of example would that be? Well, for example, I do press-ups and squats, and I do them first thing in the morning. And I do them first thing in the morning because when I get out of bed, and I have to get out of bed every morning, that's the thing I do. Mm. And my wife, Claire, does it with me, so that makes it more likely we will do them. Um, so <laughs> she tells me to do them, I tell her to do them, and then we kind of do them. We also uh, do something called the seven-minute workout. Uh, which is free, available as an app, 
and I think he's very clever. Mm. It was designed by an exercise physiologist to be done in hotel rooms. Um, so you don't need any equipment. Uh, it does take seven minutes. The press-ups and squats take less time than that, but it does work pretty well every muscle in your body. And so, as I said, I know in my heart of hearts, if I don't do them then, I'm never going to do them. <laughs> it's really good. That That is very realistic. And it's interesting that you focus on the squats and the push-ups because the personal trainer that we have here at Lizard Wellbeing, those are the two exercises that he says, you know, if you do nothing else, just do those. You're using your own body weight. As you say, there's no equipment. You can do them in your pyjamas. So there is really no excuse for not doing it. And I, like you, I'm in my bedroom in the morning how many squats do you do out of interest? I do about uh, two sets of 30 and two sets of 30 press-ups, so I alternate. Mm. And do you hold weights? or uh, do No. You... Uh, I sort of, the weights are currently sitting somewhere in a cupboard <laughs> and possibly come January. What, <laughs> I, what I have to do is, if I'm going to use them, I have to put them by right, the bed. You trip over them. So that when I roll <laughs> yep. out of bed, I will see yes. them. Yes. Uh, but at the moment, they're still sitting in the cupboard waiting for me to do something about it. One other thing which you may or may not know, and I'm delighted to hear your personal trainers mm. recommend it because uh, I've made lots of programs about exercise and I always ask people, what is your go-to exercise? And they always say the squat and the press-up. But one of the surprising bits of research I came across in the process of uh, researching the book was studies being done at the University of South Wales. And what they showed is that when you do a press-up or you do a squat, you're obviously changing where your head is. Your head goes up and down, particularly with the squat, but also with the press-up. And what you then get is a dramatic change in oxygen flow to your brain because of this movement up and down, up and yes. down. And this, in turn, triggers the growth in the brain of something called BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor. And this is like fertilizer for the brain. Really? It um, basically preserves the brain cells. And again, one of the things we know is depression, anxiety. They are strongly linked with the death of neurons. That basically that is one of the underlying factors that leads to poor mental health is basically literal destruction of your brain. And um, that's why I call them intelligent exercises, because these two forms of exercise seem to be particularly good. And he says they're better than running. They're better than almost anything else when it comes to boosting levels of this all-important hormone BDNF. That is absolutely fascinating. And of course, the squat you can do, hopefully, at any stage of life even relatively elderly, because it is just that, that functional movement, isn't it, of sitting down into a chair, but not quite touching the chair and getting back up again. Absolutely. Um, it's important that uh, you go and see how it's done properly online mm -hmm. or something like that, or you see a personal trainer, because you can injure yourself right. uh, doing a squat. And I could describe it, you could describe it, it's not quite the same as yes. seeing it. And the same is true of the press-up. You need to do it properly. And start small. Just build up, you know, do a few squats. If you've never done squats before, do a few. But it is actually the ability to get in and out of a chair is actually quite a good measure of your future mm. health. Uh, and indeed, there was a study in 50-year-olds which showed that those who could do quite a few of those lived longer and healthier and had less cancer and things like that and dementia than those who couldn't. Fascinating. They followed them basically for 20 and years. And interesting, w w one of the points I picked up on your book, which I've so enjoyed reading, is 
balance and again that comes into the physicality and timing yourself standing on one leg what was the studies for that yes now that was absolutely fascinating i first came across this and i've seen many more studies since and this was a study published in the bmj about five or six years ago and what they did for that is they took a large group of um, 50 year olds and they ran a bunch of tests on them and one of the tests they did was standing on one leg first of all how long could you stand on one leg with your eyes open and then how long with your eyes closed. And then they came back 15 years later to see what had happened. And the single best predictor of whether you had died in that time, developed cancer, developed heart disease, was your ability to stand on one leg as measured when you were a 50-year-old. And uh, ideally, you should, with your eyes open, manage more than 60 seconds. Mm Maybe 30 seconds. I'm being a a little harsh there. 60 seconds is pretty Mm. tough. Uh, And on one leg, if you could do more than 10 seconds, you were doing well. The ability to balance like that deteriorates incredibly rapidly with time, particularly if you don't do it. And the experts I was speaking to says, look, there's a lot of evidence that modern youth, uh, their ability to balance is poorer than even us, you know, certainly me, oldster. Uh, because they spend so much time sitting down. Yeah, I've, I've read. I've read actually. It said that sitting is the new smoking. Hundred percent, and it's not just because you're sitting there and uh, you know your fats and your sugars are all kind of building up, but also because you're not actually using your sense of balance. I mean, balance is the third exercise we think of, and we've already discussed resistance exercises, squats, press ups, and obviously it's important to go for runs, walks, aerobic exercise. But people forget balance. Mm. And that means things like Tai Chi. But I have a much simpler approach because I know, again, realistically, I'm never going to do Tai mm-hmm. Chi. Yoga, I'm just never going to do it. I, over lockdown, I spent a while, you know, looking at videos and things like that. And indeed, uh, last year I was in Australia and I had to spend two weeks in an isolation hotel oh, with my gosh. wife. And we got, on, we got on fine. And we did quite a lot of uh, Tai Chi and, um, and uh, st- uh, online stuff like that. But... Uh, uh, the, the thing I do is I uh, practice balancing when I'm brushing my teeth. Because, again, it's anchoring. I have to brush my teeth, or at least I know I should brush my teeth. I brush my teeth twice a day. And ideally, I should be doing it for two minutes with an electric toothbrush. So what I do is I stand on one leg for 30 seconds, other leg for 30 seconds, and then, you know, do that for two minutes. Do that in the morning, do that in the I evening. I love that. And I, I'm, I'm going to tell my family, I'm going to tell my older parents to, to do that because Absolutely. that's something that they can try and do and of course you've got the basin there that if you do wobble you know you've got an anchor Rabbit. so you're, you're you're doing it safely genius absolutely and it's just really simple you attach it to something you are already doing so uh, you know as i said it's great if you have the inclination you want to do tai chi you want to do yoga great but the reality is that most of us are just not going to go out and mm. do it a lot of what we try and do here at lizard wellbeing is is separating fact from fad and that's what I also love about your writing and your research. And, you know, we often hear a new headline, drink coffee, don't drink coffee, fat's bad for us, fat is good for us. So do we need to be thinking about how we discern the fact from fiction? Because it's, I think, that swirling confusion that sometimes can completely paralyse us into actually doing nothing at all. Absolutely. And the challenge there is how do you distinguish fact from fiction? Because, um, you know, it's everywhere. All this information is out there about turmeric and things like that. And all I can say is you do need to go a trusted source, you, me. We are actually going to look at the science. We're going to 
look at the studies. Mm. We are going to investigate it. Uh, we're not just going to, you know, make up something on the spur of the sure. moment. Or indeed, you know, we're not trying to flog this thing or that That's thing. And that's often point. what you have to do. Who is, who's selling you this and why are they selling it to you? Uh, and that's kind of what you have to ask yourself. And then you also have to ask, you know, if it's a published... This is where it gets tricky, because you go, if it, if, where was it published? Who is it published by? Why? And that's the stuff that you and I get into. Mm. But in a way, the simplest way is to default to trusted sources, yes. if you like. Absolutely. And that well, that's certainly what we try and be here, very much evidence-based and, you know, wellness that you can trust. Can we talk about some of the things that you found most helpful? Was it hard writing mm. the book to discern what was going to go in and, and make the print and, and what wasn't. What are your favourites here? There are actually 30 Just One Things in this book. And so far, I've done more of that across the podcast series. Uh, and so I chose the ones that I thought were surprising, interesting, doable, and which had uh, the most impact. And I actually spread them across the day. So when you look at the book, I'm not suggesting you do all of them, certainly not all of them at once. But there are things to do in the morning, you know, the afternoon the yes. evening but some things are quite time specific so as we were talking about doing press ups and squats i do those in the morning not everyone's going to want to do them in the morning but you're going to find some time of day when you just know you're going to do them because they're anchored to something uh, in terms of things that really surprisingly made a big difference i would have said breathing is really one surprisingly high mm. on the list deep breathing what i call four two four there are lots of breathing exercises you can do but i was surprised by what a powerful effect it had, but also how good and interesting, how absolutely fascinating the science behind deep belly breathing, you know, deep and slow. So four, two, four, is that in for four, hold for two and out for four? That's the one, yep. And there is sort of variants on it. I find that the simplest one. So I'm just going, hold it for two and then. And what is that going to do for us? What it really does it kind of calms you down it basically slows everything down the physiology is that essentially when you're doing that you're blowing off co2 uh, and you have these sensors in your brain which are exquisitely sensitive and when you do that it actually activates something called the parasympathetic system so you got an accelerator system and a braking system so the accelerator system is your sympathetic system adrenaline go 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 fear 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 run 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 you know, and the parasympathetic system is the opposite. Basically, slow it down, calm it down. It's all chilled, man. Uh, and what the uh, slow breathing does is it activates the parasympathetic system. And so your heart rate slows down. And along with that, what happens is you feel calmer. Your brain slows down almost. So I do it when I'm feeling stressed, and I particularly do it in the middle of the night because I'm a bit of an insomniac. Mm. So come three or four in the morning, if I'm lying there, I practice deep, slow breathing. Really, you know, normally within a minute or two, I'm off. Really? If I'm not, then I kind of get out of bed and I go off and find a dull book, and then I get back. But it's it, it really has been life-changing in a way I did not That's expect. That's extraordinary that something that's simple as we all sit here, wherever we are in the world listening, we're all breathing, hopefully. And just to change that, how long do we have to do it for to get a benefit? A couple of minutes should do it. Right. You know, uh, it's like anything. Uh, beyond that, you'll get bored, distracted, pick up your phone mm. and, you know, that sort of thing. It is, that is enough to just slow your heart rate down. And it's the slowing the heart rate, which actually, for example, puts you to sleep at night. If you have a problem going mm -hmm. to sleep, uh, then again, uh, doing this is a very powerful way to slow the heart and the, 
a slowing heart is basically a, a, a sign to your brain that it's time to close down for the night. Mm. And that's it's, it's brilliant. Talking about the timings of things, uh, should we be looking at things like changing our meal times? I know we've spoken before about the fast 800 and intermittent fasting and, you know, your brilliant advocacy of the 5-2 diet and intermittent fasting. Does that feature here in Just One Thing? Yes, it does. So the particular form that we looked at in Just One Thing is time-restricted eating. So there are different forms of, um, you know, intermittent fasting. The one I'm best known for is the 5-2 diet where you cut calories a couple of days a week. Uh, but I, when I wrote the original book, I also looked at time-restricted eating. And the idea, as you know, there is you restrict the hours within which you eat. So you can do 16-8, 14-10, So if you're doing, for example, 12-12, that just means you stop eating by 8 p.m. and you don't eat again until 8 a.m. Or you might go stop eating at 8 p.m. and not eat again until 10 a.m. And that would be 14.10. You're doing 14 hours without loading your system with food. Does that also mean drink? Are we allowed a glass of wine? You're allowed a glass of water. A glass of water. (laughs) (laughs) I'm afraid so. And maybe a cup of black tea in the morning. But uh, not anything with calories, I'm afraid. Uh, And it is. it takes a little while to get used to. 12.12, I think, is manageable. Uh, by yes, most people. that's certainly what I um, would obviously, do. Obviously, mm. absolutely. And you're not going to do it every day of the week. If you can do it four or five days of the week, that's kind of good. Because obviously, you're going to socialise, you're going to do yeah, other things. Yeah, especially at the moment. Yeah. When that absolutely doesn't work. And there is a lot of really interesting research looking at the sort of beneficial effects of that. A uh, big study came out very recently, in fact, looking at this for um, firefighters. Really? Uh, because they, they work, you know, terrible hours. They are shift workers. And um, they were randomly allocated to either doing their normal thing or doing a form of time-restricted mm. eating. And uh, firefighters, like police officers, uh, number one cause of death is actually heart disease. It's not being burnt in a fire or killed by a criminal. It's basically having a heart attack. And uh, what they showed in a, over a course of eight weeks is those who practiced time-restricted eating saw measurable improvements in all their metabolic markers, their blood pressure, their blood sugars, blood fats, and things like that. Does that so, link back to the microbiome, though, and, and the gut activity while we rest? I think it's multiple mechanisms going on, which is what makes it so interesting but also quite difficult to unpack. At a very crude level, if you don't have your late-night snack then you're not going to eat as many calories. That's why time-restricted eating yeah, uh, for sure. is quite an effective way of losing weight. <laughs> yeah. The second thing that happens there is ideally you try not to eat within three hours of going to bed because that will improve your sleep. Because if you eat closer to bedtime, what happens is your blood sugars and your blood fat shoot up because you're digesting food. And then you're not being active, so it's not going to be burnt off. It's just going to run around your system for the next four or five hours, which is kind of not good. And the other reason is because it perturbs your biological systems, your, uh, your clock, because you have a clock in your gut like you have um, all over your body. And essentially, we have evolved to you know, stop eating round the fire and then go and crash out. We're not designed uh, to eat right up until the last moment. And uh, there are, again, some very compelling research showing uh, the negative impact of cramming calories in. It's a bit like you go to the restaurant, uh, you know, uh, it's late at night and the waiters all want to go home. And you come along and say, oh, no, I'm going to have a five-course yeah. meal. Uh, your body is not going to enjoy right. it. And also, one final thing about this is that your gut takes a hell of a hammering over the course of 24 hours or indeed 12 hours. 
and you need a longish period for it to be for repair to take place a bit like a motorway you know sometimes the motorway has to be closed down for a substantial period for repair to take place your gut cannot repair itself while you're cramming food down it which is why again you need a longish period so okay so i've noted to self that i'm going to have to stop that late night glass of wine that nightcap and and stick to water and in fact i mentioned in my intro that the first thing i do is my healthy habit is get up and drink a couple of glasses of water just first thing just so they're kind of in my system you've also got a focus on water as well haven't you I have, and that's a really good thing to do. Um, what I suggest, again, as an anchor, because we're given this sort of figure of two litres and who in the hell knows what two litres mm. is, I recommend a large glass of water with every meal because you're going to have a meal, have a glass of water with it. And again, some really interesting science around dehydration, around the impact that even quite subtle measures, quite subtle deficiencies in fluid can have on your cognitive function, on where your brain operates. Interestingly... Another potential benefit of drinking plenty of water is that you need to go to the loo. So that means you're going to get up and right. walk around more. And we talked <laughs> yeah. about, you know, so here you're getting down. benefit. Yeah. <laughs> and, and my expert said you, uh, his, his one is seven a day. He reckons you should go to the loo about seven, for a wee about seven times a day. Mm. He said you can, you know, look at, is it straw coloured and things like that? But who knows what straw coloured is and who really wants to look at their urine? <laughs> uh, so he says aim for about seven times mm. a day. It's rather like your five a day, you know, fruit and veg, seven a day wheeze. Yeah. Uh, if you're not hitting seven a day, then maybe you're not drinking enough water. Yeah, it's so interesting. And, and of course, we've got all these own markers built in that we can self-monitor. You know, you don't even need a gadget. 100%. You just look at your own body and, and what it's doing. Really simple. You have your two glass of water in, for breakfast. That works for you. Brilliant. Um, I have my large glass of water with every meal. Mm. There you go. Actually, picking up on that point, some people have said, oh, no, you shouldn't drink fluids especially water with a meal because you're going to dilute your gastric juices your stomach acids your enzymes what's the truth in yeah. that that's nonsense is it really really it is nonsense yeah that's very heartening yeah it, it's just you know uh, that's not how it works right uh, and uh, okay. yeah so you heard it no. here categoric uh, okay <laughs> n- another one for you maybe this will be categoric i don't know drinking coffee friend or foe friend excellent love it <laughs> Love it. <laughs> I, I love it too, but why do you love it? Okay, so I obviously love the taste. I love the ritual. Yeah. Uh, my kids gave me one of those sort of ones you put on the stove. And, oh, uh, fantastic. You know, yeah, uh, the Italian and, uh, things. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, it's kind of two to three cups a day category. We're not talking 10, but there are huge numbers of studies uh, which have shown the benefits of drinking caffeine, particularly in the form of coffee, because you can kind of think of it almost like a vegetable. You know, really, because it's um, there yeah. you go. It's brown vegetable, <laughs> dark, <laughs> brown okay. liquid vegetable <laughs> juice. Well, <laughs> uh, what was interesting yeah. when I was um, researching it, okay, I talked to a Professor Simon Betts, and he said what you should try to do is not have your coffee first thing. Really? And he said the reason is, he said most people can roll about out of bed and they have try and put it off for about an hour. And he said the reason is because when you first wake up, you have this big surge of cortisol, of the stress hormone cortisol. It's called the car response, the cortisol arousal response. And it kicks off about an hour before you wake. And so it's kind of surging when you get out of bed. So this is kind of getting you going in the morning before your press-ups or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Um, if you then pour caffeine on top of that, you're just going to feel more anxious. They've done studies which show that it also makes your blood sugars surge. So we used to think it was bad sleep that led to big surges in blood sugars the next day. He thinks it's actually because you have bad sleep, you drink caffeine, and the caffeine leads to the big 
blood sugar surges. That is fascinating. And what about pre-exercise? Does the caffeine give you a boost? It does. Uh, it's a, you, We talked about its benefit for your mental and physical, but absolutely. Caffeine is one of those sort of magic and also entirely, um, as far as I know, legal substances <laughs> you can take, which mm. will, uh, it leads to, yeah, um, enhanced performance. And indeed, I can write quite a lot about that because it's one of the unexpected side effects of caffeine, I think. And while we're talking about caffeine, of course, we find it a lot in dark chocolate, which I know you're also a fan of, as am I. I am. Uh, particularly if you're substituting, because one of the things about habits, it's very, very difficult to break a bad habit because it's deeply ingrained. One of the best ways to break a bad habit is to replace it with another habit, which is less bad. So, for example, if you love milk chocolate, who doesn't? Try and substitute dark chocolate, 50, 70 percent dark chocolate. And the things which dark chocolate have going for lots of cocoa. Mm -hmm. uh, cocoa is 30 percent fibre. Cocoa really? is one of the most fibrous substances you can even, find. Even in a chocolate Again, bar? Not in a chocolate bar, not in a milk chocolate bar, but if you're going for the dark chocolate uh -huh. that has lots of cocoa and uh, a third of the cocoa that's in that will be fibre. Gosh. Uh, if you're eating white chocolate, nothing. Nothing, no. Equally... Again, think of it as a vegetable yes. when it's dark. Uh, and the other thing it has is the, it has flavanols. Now, flavanols are these wonderful sort of substances which plants produce. And one of the impacts of that is they go, when you consume the dark chocolate, the flavanols go down to your gut and feed the kind of the microbiome, the good bugs down there. And they, in turn, um, will do things like help to reduce your blood pressure. So, yes, uh, one or two squares of dark chocolate, there's been some really good studies showing the benefits of that. And it's even more beneficial if you substitute a love for milk chocolate or white chocolate with the dark chocolate. Plus, it's not as Moorish. I don't know about you, but if once I start on a bar of milk chocolate, I do not stop. No, you tend to eat a lot more of it. Brilliant. I love all of this. Coffee tick, dark chocolate, excellent. I think we've made a fantastic start. We're going to take a quick break, but I'd love to pick up on some of your other favourite foods because I know there are so many things that we can be doing. Plus, of course, let's talk about mental health and why you think it's a good idea to play video games. As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about Wix. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. 
Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAST10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldajanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Right, back with more fabulous insights here. Can I just pick up on a few more points about food before we move on to things like video games? You're a fan of oily fish. We've obviously heard a lot about omega-3s and all of that over the years. What's your take on why we should be having the oily fish? Several reasons. Obviously, you want to have sustainable oily fish. Not all oily fish is, so have a look on the packet. Um, Mackerel um, seems to be particularly good. Um, And uh, the reason I think that we should all ideally be aiming for sort of two plus portions a week is the impact on your body but also if you like on the planet that in terms of the global impact uh, the carbon footprint uh, fish has a much lower footprint than meat Mm -hmm. so uh, if you're a vegetarian then switching to fish may not be so great from the point of view of the planet but if you're a meat eater eating more fish and less particularly of things like beef and lamb is likely to be beneficial. Well, I'd argue with that, actually, because I'm a big fan of grass-grazed oh, pasture, beef and, and lamb, because they're just grazing the grass and actually sequestering carbon, capturing it in the soil. Absolutely. It depends very much where you come from mm-hmm. and how the statistics are done. Yeah. And I would agree, it's, it is very, very confusing. Mm. And I'm, I, I, I need to dig into it because I've read so many different reports about it. But anyway, uh, talking about the benefits of fish from the point of view of your health, they are loaded with omega-3. Right. And we know that that is good for the brain and it is good for your heart and things like that. And we know that, you know, the old saying, you know, fish food for the brain is absolutely right. There have been numerous studies which have shown the benefits of eating oily fish. And they are the sort of sardines, tuna mackerel and anchovies Mm. those are the kind of classic ones and of course things like tin sardines and herrings and all of that are inexpensive too so it's a very good form of protein absolutely and frozen and as Mm. you say very high in protein and protein is a very important part of the diet which is i find many people on a vegetarian vegan diet struggle to get enough protein into their diet you can do so by eating tofu or 
temper, but um, it's more difficult. But um, meat and fish are both packed with protein. Mm. Well, something else I think we can all eat and enjoy is beetroot. Lots of information on beetroot, and that makes it into your book as well, which is great. I love this root vegetable. Absolutely. Um, and uh, beetroot is a kind of acquired taste, and I'm glad to hear you acquired it. Big fan. Uh, you can also <laughs> get it in the form of beetroot shots, uh, mm. where you know you have it in a fluid form. And there's a lot of studies done, particularly down in Exeter University, looking at the beneficial effects of beetroot. I mean, the Romans were big fans. Uh, they claimed it had an aphrodisiac effect mm-hmm. and there may be something in it because of the mode of action. Really? And essentially, yeah, absolutely. So when you knock back the beetroot, it leads to an increase in something called nitric oxide, which causes vasodilation. It makes your, you know, your veins and your arteries you know, swell. And that means there's increased blood flow to your organs, which is good for exercise but obviously you know it might have an impact on your sex life as well how funny so is it would, would beetroot be like a natural viagra yep that's the theory Whoa. same mechanism <laughs> i'm not sure anyone's ever done the studies but <laughs> i'm not sure anyone's reported on it but yeah it sounds entirely plausible fantastic and I, uh, well i love that maybe if any listeners here like to report back anecdotal evidence we'd, we'd love to hear yeah and the, the other uh, fresh produce that you're a big fan of as am i are apples and it's interesting, isn't it, the, how we're surrounded now by so many different varieties. Some are much higher in sugar, for example, than others. What's the science here? Do you have particular varieties that you love or is it just that we should be eating more apples generally? I think broadly more and always with the skin on. I right. mean, I eat the whole thing and sometimes even the stalk. Uh, <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's a good bit of fibre thrown uh-huh. in there. Uh, it's funny because, you know, when I was a child, we used to peel potatoes, you'd peel apples and yeah, things like that. Yeah, peel Now you're going, why? Yeah. Because that's completely insane. First of all, it's a huge waste of time. <laughs> and secondly, um, almost all the nutrients are in the skin. They're right there on the surface. Mm. You know, give it a bit of a scrub by all means. But uh, when I make apple pie or I do things like that, then I just, you know, I just remove the core but and then Keep just throw it all. it all in. And it's delicious. Fantastic. And uh, we know that apple skin in particular is very high in fiber, uh, but also in these flavanols, which I talked about earlier. Mm. And again, that's the impact on the gut bacteria seems to be quite an important part of the beneficial effect of apples. I was talking to an expert from Australia, and she's, she, they have looked at different types of apple. She thinks pink ladies are probably top of her list, but all apples have nutrients. And the important thing, as I said, the main thing you need to do is eat it with the skin. Mm, Interesting. You see, I don't like pink ladies because I find them much higher in sugar. But the one thing that I do always look for is red skinned now, because Mm. I gather that they have these flavanols, in particular quercetin, which is a really fascinating nutrient, you know, linked to inflammation or helping with potentially lower inflammation. And when I get really bad hay fever, I take quercetin and that quells my symptoms. Mm, so I, I actually make a like a Bircher style muesli in the summer using a grated red skinned apple. So obviously there's 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 a bit more science in there as well, isn't there, than, than just Absolutely. liking the flavour. Okay, so moving on from from food, I was interested to see that playing video games actually made it into your into your hit list in the book. I thought the general consensus here was that they're addictive and a bit of a waste of time. No, absolutely, and that's exactly what I would have said before I started looking into it. And indeed, the researcher I spoke to said that was her starting point. But she actually works with children with autism, and they found that uh, when they played video games, it actually improved their sort of verbal 
skills as well as their cognitive skills. And then they did further studies. And what they found is that playing video games does indeed, you know, increase your ability to focus and your working memory and things like that. And uh, she said, and again, I found this surprising, there's no evidence that they are addictive. Really? And there's certainly no evidence that they lead to aggression or violence. There have been numerous, numerous studies. Uh, interestingly, just the other day, uh, uh, you know, uh, well, it was a couple of months back now, there was a big study done in the US which came to exactly the same conclusion. I mean, this was a really big study uh, with thousands of kids. And so I am never going to become a shoot 'em up person. I'm not good, <laughs> nor am I interested in shooting up aliens. Mm-hmm. I'm like my kids, you know. Yeah, and also doing those games, uh, I'm terrible at. You know, I tried playing with my kids, but they were so much better than me. They really didn't invite me to go back again. <laughs> uh, so, uh, but you can get some of the same benefits from doing sort of driving ones or things. You know, we have to kind of navigate your way around. Really? So what my expert said is try them, try doing them with your partner or whatever or with your kids. Yeah. Uh, half an hour, uh, a few times a week. If you enjoy it, give it a go. It's a good thing. Uh, and there is indeed... There is evidence. I'm not sure that I want my youngest to be listening to this podcast episode, actually, (laughs) because I I would definitely say he's addictive. But actually, I think they've got better over the years because they're interactive and he joins his friends on his little headset. And so they're communicating and talking and, you know, this language, like you were saying, you know, shoot him up and... I don't know. I mean, there's just a whole... You actually have a very handy little page of deciphering some of the jargon so that if you do want to join in, you're not going to seem like, you know, a complete loser that you don't know what people are talking about. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's great. Although you can spend a lot of time doing it. I think I wasted one summer getting hooked into plants, v zombies, which I then had to delete because it was taking over my life. Yeah. Tetris was my big really? downfall. I spent <laughs> hours playing Tetris. And do you think that these kinds of things support our memories and our general brain health? Are there other things that you talk about? I know that you're a big fan of things like meditation. I think uh, meditation and zombie games are obviously the The opposite, yeah. They're the opposite, yeah. So stimulation of the brain is kind of what you get with the zombie games and also to some extent with things like painting or learning a new skill, or even dancing. They're cognitively challenging, and you're on the go, whereas mindfulness is, in many ways, the exact opposite. You're kind of sitting there. It involves breathing, which we've already talked Mm. about, but it also involves, and this is quite difficult to describe, it also involves trying to not so much let go of your thoughts, but not engage with them. Because we spend a lot of the day just sort of, you know, worrying about things and engaging in an endless internal dialogue, which is extremely unhelpful. So the idea of mindfulness is you just spend a few minutes initially, certainly, trying, you sit, you breathe, you're calm, and you try and focus on your breathing, maybe on how your leg feels, or, you know, getting in touch with your body. Mm -hmm. Now, there are apps out there where you can join a course. I think it's almost impossible to do by yourself. Right. Um, I was interested, both my sister and my brother-in-law teach mindfulness at the Oxford Mindfulness Centre. So, uh, uh, they're very, very engaged in this. Yeah. They said that, you know, uh, my sister teaches students at Oxford University and she says, you know, they find it very helpful because obviously they're kind of a bunch of hyper uh, performing yes. people who are type A's through and through. Right. And, uh, they find it difficult initially to kind of sit down and just not worry or think about things. Yeah. You have to, it's very difficult to describe and it's very difficult to do. 
but it's like any form of mental exercise. It becomes easier with time. I love the fact that you've got your, you know, your family so closely involved and that you work, I know, a lot with your lovely wife, who's a GP, but also brilliant cook, you know, doing so many great recipes. And you're also so great at road testing things yourself. I know in the past you've infected yourself with parasites. You've injected your face with your own blood. I mean, over your career, is there one thing that you were perhaps a bit sceptical about initially, but when you road tested it, you discovered its real benefits? Well, I think probably, to be honest, it was putting myself on a keto diet, which Mm. is what I did last year. Now, you mentioned my wife, Claire. She's just uh, written a new uh, recipe book called The Fast 800 Keto Recipe Book. Oh, really? I wrote a book last year called The Fast 800 Keto. And Fast 800 is a kind of low-calorie diet. Mm. But if you want to supercharge it, then going keto seems to be give you additional benefit. So it's a combination of being on eight to 900 calories, but also very low carb, but decent amounts of fat and protein, which you can still get if you eat the right foods. Mm. And I was surprised how quickly I stopped feeling hungry. And that's because when you are keto, what happens is that suppresses the hunger hormone ghrelin. It also helps preserve muscle. So there's been some really big studies done over quite long periods of time using the approach the Fast 800 Keto adopts, if you like, Mm -hmm. uh, and showing that it is a very effective way of losing weight and keeping it off and preserving your muscle and improving your metabolic health, things like type 2 diabetes and things like that. So I was kind of sceptical because I'd read a lot of bad things about keto, but I was convinced. And I gave it a go and I did very well on it. How long did you do it for? Um, I did it for about uh, four weeks, which was enough to shed all the weight I wanted to do. And these days I'm sort of Mediterranean but lowish carb. I think it's quite difficult to stay keto long term. I think it's a great way to lose it, to shred yourself. Mm -hmm. My program is a sort of three-stage process. You start on that and then you move to kind of five two or you kind of go keto at the weekends can you do that though can you actually sort of dip, dip in and out of keto oh, yeah. how long does it take for your body to adjust to running on ketones rather than glucose uh, first time you do it it's quite unpleasant because you're not used to it it's called flipping the metabolic switch right. and the first time you do it it can take up to a week but if you're doing it on the fast 800 approach where you're also low carry because just to explain to your listeners the mechanism what happens is your body runs on sugar and fat And you have about half a kilo of sugar stored in your muscles and in your liver. And until you deplete that, you're not really going to turn fat burning. So the idea of combining keto with low calorie is you very rapidly burn through that sugar supply. And then you become a fat burning machine. And you do it by burning ketone bodies. And so you can tell because if you have a sort of keto stick... Hey everyone, it's Jen and Jess from the beauty podcast, Fat Mascara, here to talk about Sol de Janeiro. So many of the beauty experts we interview on our show say that the key to great skin is to treat every inch of your body with the same attention you give your face. One of our favorite ways to do that is with Sol de Janeiro's Beige Flor Elastic Cream, a rich body cream that's clinically proven to boost collagen and has been shown to improve skin crepiness on the chest in just two weeks. Plus, it's scented with Sol de Janeiro's Charosta 68 fragrance. Sol de Janeiro is offering you 10% off your first order on soldejanero.com and free shipping with the code ACAS10. That's S-O L-D-E-J-A-N-E-I-R-O soldejanero.com and use the code ACAS10 for 10% off. 
urine stick or a breath or whatever. You can tell when you're ketosis. Yeah. Your loved one will probably tell, but you also smell a bit like nail varnish. It's a bit peculiar. Uh, <laughs> but uh, when you do that, you're basically burning through fat. And um, one of the reasons that's good for you is obviously you're getting rid of the fat supply, which is what you want to do. Uh, but the other thing is your brain seems to quite like ketone bodies. And in fact, the keto diet was originally developed 100 years ago to treat epilepsy. So there's a lot of new research suggesting benefits for a whole range of neurological conditions ranging from Parkinson's uh, to some forms of ME. So I was very skeptical. I'm, I'm now a convert. And Claire's book has lots of kind of keto-friendly recipes. I tried it a couple of years ago. I, I went keto for six weeks and I did lose some weight and I did feel very energetic. But I think what really surprised me, to your point about mental health and brain, is that I felt so much clearer in my head. I, I could think more clearly. It's just like everything had been sort of rinsed in fresh water. It was quite extraordinary, actually. I didn't keep it up because I found it socially too difficult. But I'm yep. very interested in what you say, that if we're already adopting a low-carb diet, so our sugars are already lowered, that actually we can flip in and out of keto more easily and more quickly. Absolutely. And there seems to be quite a lot of evidence that keto flipping is even more beneficial than being in ketosis long term. It becomes easier. The first time you do it, it you're, you're flipping a metabolic switch, which is conserved. All animals have it. We have it. There's a reason why it's there. But unless you've done it, then it's quite unpleasant for a while because your body doesn't really like, you know, it doesn't going, know what, where's what the sugar? Doing. Where's yeah. the sugar? Yeah. And so, but when you've done it a few times, it becomes effortless. And that is, as I said, exactly how we evolved. And indeed, you know, all mammals do it. They run on sugar and fat. And the fat is there to be burnt. The thing is, we never touch our fat supplies because we're eating sugary junk food all the time. So yes. we never have to. Uh, but actually, you know, it becomes easier and easier the more you do it, like so many things in life. Absolutely brilliant. What a great note to end on. I love your book, Michael. Just one thing. It's so full of positivity and so many easy quick wins for all of us to help preserve those New Year's resolutions and for them to become not just New Year's but lifelong. Thank you so much for your time today. Pleasure. Well, thank you so much again for all those little bits of inspiration, Michael. Don't you just love that, that you can chunk it down into bite-sized pieces? It's like the old saying, how do you eat an elephant? You know, one bite at a time. And you just have to take things slowly for them to really stick. And I'd love to know what one change you're going to make. Maybe you're going to make more than one. Like me, is it going to be getting out of bed and drinking two large glasses of water, going and looking towards the sun? Or maybe you'll be doing those squats. If you do, you can imagine that you're in very good company, me and Michael and his wife. Well, do come and share with everyone over on social media. You can find me at Lizelle Me. And the team and me, we're at Lizelle Wellbeing. And while you're on your phone now, do please make sure that you're following the podcast on whatever app you are listening to me on so that you will know as soon as I'm back with another brilliant guest. So until next week, go well. Bye-bye. The Lizelle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Lizelle, and is produced by Anushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith.